Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. We have a very special guest. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She has sold over 8 million books. She once started as a single mother on welfare, and she is now one of the most influential voices in America. I'm so pleased to welcome Ayanla Van Zandt. Welcome, Ayanla. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for being with us. Thank you. A year, right? A year. year. We've been planning this for a long time. Yeah. a few years ago, maybe this was two years ago, my brother gives me a call and he says, I'm backstage with Ayanla. And she <laughs> says that she has been following the Tapping World Summit since the beginning. Yeah. And I, he almost lost his hearing because I began to scream <laughs> because I'm such a big fan of yours. Yeah. So I'd love to just ask you what attracted you to the Tapping World Summit and why was it something that you kept listening to uh, every year? Okay. I uh, started tapping um, oh God, I don't know, 15 years ago. And then it became a tool that I used to support my daughter when she had cancer. And I got deeper and deeper into it. And that was in 2004. And I believe the summit was the next year or 2005. Around that, eight years ago, so I'll have to count back. Okay, 2007, (laughs) 2007. So that was in 2003 that I uh, really started delving deeper and deeper into tapping, went to the next level in my training, because I am a spiritual technician. Mm -hmm. I believe that there are technologies and practices that support us in keeping our energy clean keeping our energy clear. And tapping for me was definitely one of those uh, technologies. So in 2007, when I heard about the Tapping World Summit and my teacher, Lindsay Kenny, was a part of the summer summit. And another one of my teachers, Carol Look, was also a part of the summit. I said, well, my goodness, I need to be involved in this. So I, I, I went online. I think I sat through every lecture the first year. And then you you started sending out the DVDs. So I didn't have to do it the third, second, third, or fourth year. <laughs> and, um, just to refresh myself, renew myself, and to take myself deeper into this technology, which I believe for me was life-saving, mind-saving, and energy-shifting. Yes. When you began to use tapping, was there one moment when you said, wow, this works? Yeah. Um, my drug of choice throughout life was unworthiness. That was my drug of choice. <laughs> that's what I had been taught, and that's what I had come to believe, and that was the, the, you know, the main line in my script. I can't have, I can't do, I shouldn't. Uh, why? Just all sorts of wonderfulness. And so my teacher, Lindsay Kenny, has a technique called bundling baggage. And we did a session of bundling baggage around unworthiness. And I think it was the very next day or maybe two days later, some, I was talking to someone about something and I heard my mouth say, I deserve it, that's why. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> who, who was that? <laughs> who used my mouth to say those words? Yeah, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm on to something 
That's beautiful. And I know that you have your TV show where in a very short period of time, you need to walk into these people's lives and show them a different way, transform their lives. And I know that tapping is a tool that you often bring in. Yeah. How have you seen other people react to it? How has your experience been with using it with these families on your TV show? I use, every, I use it with every guest, almost every guest, even when it's not aired. Mm -hmm. Because you see 48 minutes, and I've been with the people probably two, three, or four days. So when they get stuck or when the problem has been long-standing and I can hear their script and, and how they hypnotize themselves with their story, I use tapping. Um, and it just, you can see it in, in their face when it clicks. And the other thing that I know is usually when you're tapping with someone and the energy shifts, they'll cry or they'll laugh. Yes, yeah, they'll yes. cry or they'll laugh. And I say, okay, that's it. Now we and can it's go good on. to know that the crying is okay. Yeah, it's release. It's yes. a release. They'll cry or they'll laugh. Yes. And sometimes they'll say, I'm not crying because I feel bad. I'm <laughs> crying because I, I didn't understand. <laughs> right. And, and when you're, a lot of these families that you're working with, they've never heard of tapping before. They're brand new. Mm. So how do you introduce it to them? I say, just do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just do what I'm doing, right. and, and you'll see later. Just do this. I think the, um, one of the most uh, really accepted, uh, or one of my guests that was really moved by tapping was Terrell Owens. Mm. I did, uh, oh my gosh, like a one-hour session with him. And when the energy shifted, not only could I see it, but he said, I am really tired of banging on my face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he just bust out laughing. So uh, I could see it. And, and I think that once the energy moves mm -hmm. uh, and the body responds, you know, a lot of what we hold is muscle memory yeah. and cellular memory. And because we're working on specific points in the body, we can release those memories or we can at least bring them up and dissipate them. And that's when people really have the feeling, okay, this, something's going on here. Yeah. I love how you're saying just have an experience because that's all it takes. Right. Once you experience it, then you know that it's working. Right. So when you're um, tapping with these guests, you mentioned before that you'll begin to hear someone who's hypnotized by their own story. Yes. I want to talk about the story because for many people, they'll say, Ayanla, I don't have a story. I'm just telling you what happened. That's right. That's the story. They don't right. get that that's the story. And it's the script. Um, and they'll, I call, I say they hypnotize themselves mm. because every time you, you speak, you are educating your mind and your soul and all the cells in your body. So when you continue to say the same thing over and over, you're making a deeper and deeper impression, like a tire tread. Right. You know, if you go back and forth over the same place, you're going to make an impression in the dirt or the grass or, or wherever you are. And so when people tell their story to the degree that they remember the anger, they remember the fear, uh, they talk about what the other person meant, even though they don't know what the other person meant, uh, they're digging that impression in. And what tapping does is it kind of smooths that impression out. Mm -hmm. So you're working from a level playing field. And the reason I love it is because it removes the toxic energy. So even if you tell the story again, you're not going to get the same response. Yes, because obviously tapping is not going to change what happened in no. the past, but it will change the way that you're reacting in the moment to that Responding event. Responding and, and the, you know, if I do this to you, 
-hmm. If I do that to you, you're going to feel it. And yeah. if I keep doing it, the more I do it, the, eventually you're going to say, stop that. Right. <laughs> you know, that hurts. But when it comes to our story, we never stop it because we feel justified in telling it over and over and over, so not realizing that it's hurting us. That's what I was going to say. So to not realizing that the only thing that we're doing is punishing ourselves. Yes. Yeah. I want to talk about punishing ourselves for a moment. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, you said that your drug of choice was unworthiness. unworthiness. And I know I can relate to this. We, we were talking before about my book and I had punished myself with um, being so hard on myself when it came to my body. And um, I would really have a, a very uh, a really strong critical voice that I felt like I needed. I felt like if I wasn't punishing myself, then I wouldn't be a good person. Right. That through punishing, it meant that I was self-aware. Right. And do you see that come up? And how do you address someone who has that voice and they're being so hard on themselves thinking that this is the only way to have the breakthrough, confusing self-help with self-punishment. Right. Or when people make up, because, you know, we love, we attend the University of MS, making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> and when people think they're not where they should be, mm. or they should have done this differently, or they should be doing that, then what they do is they punish themselves with mental uh, messages with behaviors that keep them stuck where they are because they didn't do it before or they should be so doing something else. And since they're not, I'm going to punish myself for where I am. And they, they begin to just be miserable. And so, you know, self-awareness is one thing. Okay, this is not where I want to be. And I'm here because I either chose this or failed to choose it all. Now, how am I going to move forward? But we don't ask that question. How am I going to move forward? What we do is, why, 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 why did I do that? And look where it got me. And why, why, why am I doing this? And look at where I am. Instead of saying, how am I going to move forward? How are you going to move forward? Is you're going to tap yourself out of that place. Right. <laughs> There's such a power in also honoring that voice as well. Because the other side of it is people go, well, let me just think positively. Let me just try to fight this feeling. Let me try to push it down with, with food or another drug of choice. So, and sometimes they don't even know that's what they're doing. Yeah. Won't even talk about the feeling. Won't even give ourselves the opportunity to, to have the feeling, mm -hmm. cut the feeling off. And, you know, many of us have very limited emotional libraries. As children, we're taught good, bad, right, wrong, happy, sad, fun, boring. We, we, we're not taught disappointment. We're not taught um, uh, the myriad of levels of upset, grief, sorrow, sadness. Yes, we know what sadness is attached to, but do we really know what sadness feels like? I think sometimes we think that we're bored and we're sad, or sometimes we think that we're angry and we're grieving. Um, so... As we begin, as we learn how to increase our emotional library so that we can go in and say, okay, this is the feeling I'm having and it's safe and I'll survive. I'm really, really mourning right now. Yeah. I'm really grieving right now. I'm grieving where I am because I know my talents and my gifts, even if I don't know how to use them. I'm mourning. I'm grieving. I'm very disappointed in you. We'll go to anger first when the mm -hmm. fact is I'm hurt Yeah. because you disappointed me. So I think one of the things that tapping does is it allows us to expand and increase our emotional library 
and our emotional vocabulary because your technician or, or your, your coach in tapping is going to support you in coming up with the words that identify the feelings so that you can release them. And I feel like that's exactly what I aim to help people discover in all of these summit interviews. Because the tapping is, it's a very simple process yes. and you can do it yourself. But what we're really doing is diving into how can we ask ourselves questions to really get clear. And I love that, expand our emotional vocabulary. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm tapping, they make me mad. They may, I said, are you, are you angry or are you disappointed? Oh, my God, I never thought about that. Mm. So if you're trying to clear anger when you're disappointed, it's not going to turn out well for you. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and I learned that in tapping because one of my arch nemesis in my life was my father. And I thought I had all of these issues with my father and I was angry with my father and my father abandoned me. My father rejected me. And the truth of the matter is I was hurt that my daddy didn't want me. Mm. And I made that up. It wasn't that he didn't want me. He didn't know how to express what he was feeling because his mother was very emotionally void. So he didn't know. But I'm walking around, you know, 40 years old thinking I'm mad at my daddy. And I was hurt. The little girl, five years old, was hurt. So I was doing some work with Lindsay Kenny, and she said, well, are you angry or are you disappointed? I said, I don't think I'm disappointed. Maybe I'm disappointed. And the more we tapped, I was hurt. So not only was I able to increase my, my, emotional vocab, my emotional library, being able to identify the feeling, I was able to increase my emotional vocabulary by being able to speak it out and tie all of the memories and the incidents to it so that I could get rid of the energy right. that I had attached to it. Right. And it's so important to have that emotional process because I hear you saying the logical side of it where you're able to understand that your father wasn't able to express love the way that you needed. But I'm sure that when you were feeling that, that was it disappointment, you said? Hurt, hurt. disappointment, you sadness. When we're so in the grip of those emotions, we can't understand the right. other person. We can't see uh, things the other way. How did you, when you felt that feeling, how was that experience for you to be 40 and go, actually, I am mourning, I am feeling something that I felt at five years old. What was that experience like? And what advice do you have for someone who might be in the same position? They're 40 years old and they're, they feel anger at their father and they're almost scared to go there. They're scared to open that can of worms. Yeah. They're scared if they address it, they'll break down and they won't be able to get back up again. Well, the beauty of it for me was that I discovered it in tapping. So as I discovered it, I was releasing it. I didn't have to analyze it. I didn't have to, you know, theorize it. I didn't have to do any of that. I spoke it. I tapped it out and I I moved on. I mean, you know, my father had been dead 20 years. So it was really good for me to discover it in that moment, in the tapping process. So it wasn't just that I became aware of it because I'm probably totally alone in doing this. But sometimes I become aware of something and then I analyze it to the nth degree. And I have analysis paralysis. Never done that. Yeah. You know, I have analysis paralysis. Now I'm just thinking about it and analyzing and wondering why I didn't know it before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. And that whole thinking, like something's broken, so let me fix it. Right. You know, and finding the solution. Uh, and, and here you're, you're really teaching us how it's so important to, to validate how we feel, to get clarity on how we really feel in order Absolutely. to address it. And because once you get clear about what it is, not only do you know how to address it, but you become more aligned 
to release the energy of it. Yes. I think more than the events, I mean, you know this, more than the events or the circumstances or the situation of our lives, it's how thought creates energy. And it's the energy that we continue to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And that's what creates our suffering because we are encapsulated in a toxic energy that is connected to our thoughts. I, I always say the enemy is in me. The enemy is in me. I'm doing it. It's my mind. I'm thinking it. I'm, I'm denying it. I'm avoiding it. I'm doing all of that. The other person is dead and gone, and here I am doing all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's why I love tapping. But what if the person isn't dead and gone? What if there's someone in our lives that we feel has betrayed us, has hurt us, and we're scared of forgiving them, we're scared of letting go of the emotions because we don't want it to happen again? I feel like a lot of times we hold on to these emotions as a way to try to protect ourselves. Yes, if I remember this, I'll stay alert to it. Yeah. For me, that speaks so much to trust, mm. you know? And the first thing to know is that people are messy. They just are. Human beings are so messy. And human beings make mistakes. And human beings are prone to do the very thing that they set out not to do. That's, it's, it ain't personal, man. <laughs> <You> <laughs> it ain't know? personal, that's right. the thing. <laughs> it really, it's not personal. So when we are, have our trust betrayed or when we feel violated by someone, when someone abuses us or abandons us, we take it so personal. Mm. You know, they did it and you experienced it, but nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know, let me destroy somebody's self-worth today by rejecting them, abandoning them, denying them. Let me, let me just do that and it'll be you. <laughs> no. They do what they do based on their own pain. They do what they do based on their own breakdown, dysfunction, upset. And we want to protect ourselves from something going on in somebody else that we don't even know about or can identify. So I say that because we know people are messy, dysfunctional, sloppy, uh, uh, because we know that people uh, make mistakes, because we know that some people aren't well or balanced and they do very ugly things, you can't try to protect yourself from that. You've got to trust that no matter what happens or what has happened, if you remain alert and aware to what you're feeling and what's going on, you've got to trust that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. Yeah. I, am, I experienced sexual abuse as a child. And it wasn't until 30, I was 30 years old that I knew that's what it was. I didn't even know what it was until somebody told me. So I didn't spend my life as a child trying to protect myself from being sexually abused because I didn't know I was sexually abused. Now, I was promiscuous because I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. And so I just recreated the activity. But I've met people who were sexually abused as children who spend their whole life in fear and trauma and upset trying to avoid sexual abuse. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. What I say is trust that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. And that you can move through every experience. Nobody wants to go through sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever. But we go through it and we survive. Yeah. As opposed to trying to be on the safeguard guaranteeing that it doesn't happen to you. Right. Right. And it seems like 
not just sexual abuse, but other things I know in my life when I've been so scared of something happening, it's like, it's all you stare at. That's right. So you just start going into that direction without even realizing almost subconsciously. What you focus on grows. Mm -hmm. Shift your attention. Yeah. Shift your attention. So I also think that because when we do experience abuse or neglect or, or violation of some kind, it does create a muscle memory. And that's the other thing that tapping does. It frees those muscle memories. It gives the cells an opportunity to breathe beyond the trauma or the upset that right. we experience. What would you say to someone who feels that they need to be angry at someone because that person deserves it? Because what they did was wrong and they're scared that forgiving them and letting it go means that that behavior was okay. I would say to them, that is not going to turn out well for you. <laughs> it just isn't. <laughs> You are using too much energy trying to punish boo-boo, and in the process, you're punishing yourself. You are whipping someone, but you've got the whip in your hand, and it could snap back on you at any moment. It is not going to turn out well for you. Right. Uh, so then what's the other side? Because I know that you've tapped with many people on this, on yeah. this anger of not wanting to forgive. When they were able to do the tapping and and honor how they felt, honor the hurt or the sadness or the betrayal, what's the other side look like? What's it look like when we can forgive someone without accepting that person back in our lives? Yeah, you get to make the choice. You get to choose mm -hmm. how you are in relationship with them. But sometimes we're holding on to anger or upset with someone who's been out of our lives, you know, for right. 52 years. The other side of it looks like, for me, when you, after you you understand it and you've been through it. The other side of it looks like I forgive myself for believing that person still has power in my life. Well, can you say it again? <laughs> I forgive myself for believing that that person who abandoned me, abused me, rejected me, still has power in my life. I forgive myself for believing the way to protect myself was to stay mad at them. For me, the other side of forgiving somebody else is the realization that the only person I really have to forgive is myself. Well, you wrote in your book, there was this passage that made me cry, and you said that you got to the point where you were able to forgive the man that raped you, yeah. forgive the man that abandoned you, forgive the women who betrayed you, but the one thing you couldn't forgive was yourself. Yes, and that's how I know that's what's on the other side of forgiving other people. And... I couldn't forgive myself because at the age of three or five or nine when I was abused, I had made a decision that it was my fault. I, unconsciously, mm -hmm. the nine-year-old, if I had done something different, this wouldn't have happened to me. Uh, and if I had screamed loudest, you know, scratched somebody. Had I not gone out where I wasn't supposed to be, this wouldn't have happened to me. Unfortunately, those decisions were made by aspects of my consciousness that didn't have the cognitive development to understand those are, that's a poor decision you're making, man. So at 29, 30, 32, 40, whatever age we are, we are trying to combat a decision that we made when we didn't have the cognitive development to realize the falsity of that particular decision. So it requires then that you get in touch with that aspect of yourself. You can do that in tapping. Right. 
right. when I was a child, when I was a little girl. Yeah, a big part of tapping is this idea of loving and accepting yourself. Yes. Which I know for many people is difficult. Just just the words, I love and accept myself, makes some people want to cry. Yeah. And I know I cried the first time I had to say those words. Right. And also, the other side is some people then just don't like those words because they think, well, this sounds stupid. Right. Why would I accept something that I so want to change? Right. Why is acceptance and self-love so important to make a shift? I, I think it was it was either Ernest Holmes or, um, I don't remember the author, but I think it was Ernest Holmes who said, there is no wound deep enough that love cannot heal. Mm. There is no gap wide enough that love cannot bridge. If only we could love ourselves, all would be well with us. Love is the universal healer. I personally believe that God is love. And every time I say love, I'm calling the divine intelligence of the universe into the process. That's what I believe. But I do know that anything you pour love on is eventually going to become loving. Yeah, even those really dark places. Doesn't matter to me. No wound deep enough that love cannot heal. Mm -hmm. No difficulty um, challenging enough that love cannot mend. So when we say, I love and accept myself, and I, I have clients say, I'm willing. If you, if you don't believe it just now, I'm willing to love and accept myself. Or I'm really learning how to love and accept myself. Or I'm choosing to love and accept myself anyway. Those, there are ways that you can work with the statement so that it'll land. And again, it not landing, people not being able to accept it is because of the cellular memory or the muscle memory from the repetition of the story. And I love and accept myself anyway is a post-hypnotic suggestion. Yes. <laughs> I love that. And Another important point that I think you, you were making earlier is that you were saying that as you began to tap, that's when you began to have these realizations of what you were really feeling. Yes. Too often we don't tap because we think, well, I have to figure out, I need to strategize, I need to know exactly how I'm feeling, but it's so important just to start. What happens for many people, I know it happened for me, that as I tap and the energy starts moving, other things start coming up. And you tap them away immediately. And your practitioner, a good practitioner, will say to you, I'm giving you the script, but if something comes up, speak it, you know? Right. So your practitioner may be tapping with you, and you have a thought or a feeling, speak it. And it comes up, and then it's gone. These are the things that were buried down in the energy that you didn't even know were there. Right. We, you are a relationship expert. I mean, a lot of the work that you do is helping families heal. And I often see with my clients in my own life and, you know, people around me that we have a pattern of attracting certain people. So, you know, I think we all have that girlfriend who's been dating the same guy know, with right? different names. Right. And you're like, where do you find these guys? <laughs> so, you know, whether it's a guy or a, girl, a woman or a you know, job, a job situation. Anything, if we, if someone's watching this and they're thinking this issue just keeps repeating itself over and over again in different forms, I don't know what to do. How do you explain that this phenomenon and how do we address it? Mine was was poverty. Mm. I grew up poor. I grew up uh, where I wasn't really taught the value of money. I was. I grew up with a lot of deprivation. So I was. 
making, and then, and then I ended up on public assistance on welfare, which is a very limited income. Uh, and, you know, just the, all of the drama and wahala, I call it wahala, <laughs> that goes along with managing the dysfunction. Because we do learn how to manage our dysfunction, whether it's the relationship or poverty or health or whatever. And so I was earning well over a million dollars a year, and I was still broke. I would still have moments <laughs> because the consciousness that I had as watching my parents and also as a recipient of welfare was that you had to have no money in order to get money. Payday, you're broke. It's Friday. You got to be broke on Thursday so that you can get that paycheck on Friday. When so this was a subconscious. It was a having. pattern. It yeah. was what I call a pathology because growing up, uh, you know, oh, can I have a cookie? Well, I don't have any money. I, well, you got to wait till I get paid on Friday. Or I know we can't do this now, but when we get paid on Friday or Thursday or next week or whatever it was. So I grew up with that, that script in my head. I grew up with that voice in my head. And then when I grew up and I was on welfare, you know, it's very little money anyway. And then two days before you, I can't do, I'm, you know, I'm, my check is coming. Uh, my check will be here. And so the experience of wealth or having substance was attached to a check. Didn't matter how big the check was. I was making a million dollars a year. And by the time it was time for me to get my next royalty check, I was like, you know, the phone is off and the lights are being threatened and the rent is behind. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Wow. <laughs> and so... Uh, my daughter actually discovered it, and we had this whole conversation, and she said, let us make an agreement that we no longer have to be out of money before we get money. I said, I can agree to that, and tapped through it, and I've never, I don't have a problem anymore. So what was that, the core belief that you believe, you know, it, did it come down to just lack? One was lack consciousness mm -hmm. because I was really accommodating my belief that I, there was never enough, yeah. never enough. So there was never enough food, so I had to create where I didn't have food. There was never enough money, so I had to create where the bills were behind. I had, you know, yeah. wahala. Wahala. We don't know. Wahala. Why do we well, do these things? It's so incredible to hear because so often... People are stuck in the mentality of, if I could just win the lottery, then oh, yeah. my problems would be solved. If just this one thing would happen my way, then it would be solved. And here you're saying, even if someone handed you all the money that you wanted, yeah. if you don't do this inner work, you're not going to experience If you don't clear the energy, you will continue to recreate it. I was making a million dollars a year, and there would be weeks at a time where, you know, I... I they're coming to cut my lights off or my phone is off. This is insanity. We're messy. Mm -hmm. We are messy. Or as I like to say, when there's no cameras around, people are crazy as hell. Right, especially <laughs> ourselves. Yes. We are crazy as hell. Yeah. You know? And, and, and I say that with all love and respect, 
that I'm a human being too. Well, there's compassion there because yeah. when we can honor the fact that we have these moments instead of shame ourselves right. with them, it's, it's liberating. Yeah, and like you said, in the relationships, I, I know about that. <laughs> I read your book, I know, that's why I had to ask. I know about that. And mine was recreating over and over and over again the relationship that I had with my father a man who was emotionally unavailable because he was never taught how to be emotionally available. And every man, whether it was a long distance relationship or a married man or the one that I wanted who didn't want me, I would continue to create that relationship with my father over and over and over again where I had to have that man, that one right there. And he was the one who was emotionally unavailable. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And that decision had been made by a very little girl who made the decision that something must be wrong with me. My daddy doesn't want me. He's not there for me. And those were the men I picked. Mm. Something must be wrong with me. Why doesn't he want me? Why doesn't, well, he's got a wife. That would be helpful for you to understand. <laughs> Not that he don't want you, but, you know, he said, oh, you look what you've chosen. Um, or, you know, why doesn't he want me? Well, he lives three states away. Mm. It's not that he don't want you, but tickets are expensive. Yeah. You know? So we find these reasons because we don't understand we're recreating the, the decision, the choice, the pattern, the pathology, because that energy is still lodged in mm. our body. And I believe it's actually a blessing that we do that because then we're able to see it. We're able to see what's killing us. Th things are repeating themselves because there's a lesson to be Absolutely. And when you see something All happen things. two or three times, it's time to take a pause. It happens in my life. I have to pause and go, okay. okay. But what you have to do is pause. Yeah. And that is huge. We don't pause. Mm. I, I was on a plane. I don't, I don't know where I was going. I've been on so many planes. But I was on the plane, and airplanes are just an amazing enigma to me. How can something that big get up off the ground and stay up when I have trouble getting my butt up off the sofa? <laughs> I, it's just amazing to me. I just don't understand it. But this particular day, I was particularly alert to the wonder of the airplane. And I always sit at the window, always sit at the window because I got to see where I'm going. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in the plane and I noticed that it turned around and it went down the runway. And as it got to the edge of the runway, it stopped. And then it revved up the motor. And then it slowly took off. I said, oh my God. In order to take off and fly high, you got to pause. Mm. You got to pause between relationships. You got to pause between jobs. You got to pause between upsets. You got to pause between ages. We go from 29 to 30, 39 to 40, 49 to 50 without a pause. Never looking back to see. What did I experience? What did I learn? What did I see? What did I hear? How am I better? What do I still need to work on? We don't pause. Tapping is one way that we get to pause. Mm. But also in our lives, pause, stop. Because you divorced Freddie on Tuesday, you can't marry Sammy on Friday. Right. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that is not yeah. going to turn out well for you. No. <laughs> well, and Ayama, what advice do you have for someone who just struggles with the pause itself because 
few reasons. One, they have the excuse of being too busy. The second, they're scared of what they're gonna find. Yeah, yeah. The things that frighten us the most about our lives and who we are are the things that are our greatest power. Silence, greatest power. Mm. Feelings, great power. Which is why uh, tapping for me is so beneficial because the same way you can tap stuff out you can tap stuff in. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. So we know that it's important to pause and maybe look at the parts of ourselves that we haven't wanted to see. Right. And then there's the other side of moving towards something, you know, allowing ourselves to really feel those good feelings. And I know sometimes the happy feelings are just as scary in the sense of thinking, is it safe to be happy? Will this last? Do I deserve to be happy? Am I worthy to feel happy? Yeah. What are your thoughts around that, kind of allowing yourself to move forward and experience more joy than we felt before? Well, what I learned about tapping is when you put something in that your BS or your belief system <laughs> is resisting, everything that causes the resistance will come up. You know, when you're saying, I deserve to be happy. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to feel good. The resistance will immediately come up and we can tap that out also. The thing is that many of us are afraid of the good feelings because we've made up either that we shouldn't have them or that they're not going to last. Mm -hmm. I mean, joy is just, I mean, joy is, there just are no words to really be not happy, but to live in joy. Um, but we've made up, uh, let me speak for myself, because I know this doesn't apply to you or anyone you <laughs> know. But I made up, A, that I didn't deserve to have joy. So I made up if, I'm, if I have too much joy, too much happiness, too much peace, blah, blah, blah is gonna happen. So I was able to tap that out. And when I really first experienced joy, I was like, oh, what is that? <laughs> Uh, is that gas? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do I need to burp? What is that? <laughs> oh, I'm happy. Oh, I'm happy. <laughs> and it wasn't anything like I thought it would be because most of what we experience, because we have a limited emotional vocabulary, we give it a name. And, and that may have nothing to do with what it was. I thought 40 years in relationship with a married man made me happy. I learned later it made me stupid. But <laughs> Right. Well, that's such a good point because when it comes to these toxic relationships or toxic behaviors, it is almost like a drug. It feels, we think it feels good in that moment. And so we get addicted to the feeling anger, the guilt, or the sadness. What, what are your thoughts around an addiction to a negative emotion? Listen, how, you know how many people I meet that are addicted to sorrow and suffering? addicted to negative attention. Something's always got to be wrong so that somebody can come and rescue them. It's an addiction. They will create things. Addicted to sorrow and suffering. I, you know, I know someone who lost, uh, she lost her mother at a very young age and will not, she has an allergy to feeling good. She will not allow herself to feel good. She has not celebrated a birthday since her mother died. And anytime anything's going on that commit, I mean, to the point of not tapping your feet, she won't tap her feet to music. Mm -hmm. So she's really addicted to the sorrow, to the suffering because of whatever is going on in, in her mind about 
how she should be since she lost her mother. So we've got to understand that we are, there are many of us addicted to negative or toxic emotions and feelings and situations. We're just addicted right. to it. And we will create our experience to, to get that to hit. get that high, to get that hit on you it. You said a big word, which I've heard you mention before, is when we're telling our stories, is that word should. Yes. So I should keep mourning. I should be sad because this happened. Right. How do we get, how do we stop shooting all over ourselves? Yeah, you and know? don't let other people should on you either. Right. <laughs> judgments. Mm. They're judgments. Behind every should, there's a judgment. Right, wrong, good, bad, fair, unfair, uh, or a comparison. And for me, comparisons of yourself to other people, of your situation uh, to other people's situation is an act of violence against yourself. Because everything is for you as you've created it. And therefore, everything is as it needs to be. So when you start shooting, or when you allow people to shoot on you, you're making a judgment that something should be different. That how it is is not how it's supposed to be. Uh, something should be better or worse, whatever, judgment. And forgiveness is the only way to neutralize a judgment. Right. Got to forgive. I forgive myself for judging myself as not being where I need to be. The language for me of forgiveness is so important. Because, because I forgive my father for leaving me. No, you don't. <laughs> You're just uttering those words. I forgive myself for believing my father needed to stay in order for me to be happy. Very different thing. Yeah. Very different energy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's so beautiful. So when we're playing this game of shoulds, and you just mentioned other people have those judgments, I know a lot of people that are attracted to the Tapping World Summit are people who are, are pretty emotionally attuned, maybe even emotionally sensitive and looking to find some relief. And when you're dealing with someone who is emotionally sensitive, and I think, right, you'd agree, I think we're both emotionally sensitive. Right. It's probably why we're into this work. We can often feel like a doormat, yeah. you know, if we don't learn how to create boundaries. Do you have any advice on, uh, and insights on the struggle around really standing in our power, creating boundaries, protecting our emotions, while still loving other people? Because right. the problem is we try to love so much that we think, that love is worrying about other people and fixing and doing what they say, how do we begin to find our power while still loving and creating boundaries? I think it's important for us to make the distinction between a boundary and a wall. Mm, yes. What is that? <laughs> I need that. What's the distinction? <laughs> Walls keep people out mm -hmm. or make it difficult for them to come over. Yeah. That a wall doesn't keep you safe. Because you then have to guard the wall. Mm -hmm. A boundary is a structure, a system, a concept built within that keeps you safe within. And so in creating a healthy boundary, you have to create it within yourself by understanding what your intention is, what you want to be safe from, what it feels like to be safe. That's important about a boundary what it feels like when you're safe so that you understand what the boundary is protecting. And anytime someone violates your boundary, you feel it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think it. You don't have to see it. You feel it. 
the distinction, again, between a boundary and a wall is that a wall is built to keep people out and a boundary is, is, cre is created to strengthen you from within. Yes. I love that. We, we talk about this. We have a, um, an interview in the Tapping World Summit about being able to say no, to create boundaries, to speak your truth. Because it's such an important thing when we're building the life. This is moving forward. We're trying to build this new life. Yes. We need to begin to be able to make these boundaries. Right. And if we are feeling so kind of raw inside, it makes it difficult. So it kind of goes right back to the first thing. We have strategy, first step in our work. Right. That's, first step, that's the only that step. salad. That's yeah. the only step. Here's another thing I think that is very important, Jessica, for us to, to let the summit attendees know, and everybody else. There is a part of you that wants to heal. And there is a part of you that does not want to heal. A part of you that is totally comfortable and content being whiny and broken and dysfunctional and messy and crazy as hell. It's just because it's familiar, okay? The work, whether it's tapping or meditation or yoga or breathing or whatever it is, the work is to bring these two pieces together so that they are a harmonious whole. That's the work. It doesn't have anything to do with your mother, your father, your, your grandmother that you were raised among the wolves or in a foster home. It has to do with the part of you that doesn't want to heal. And when its voice is stronger than the voice of you that want to heal, this is what's going on inside. Mm -hmm. What you see outside is simply a reflection of this. So we never get rid of that other voice completely. No, but you can take its power away. It's what Debbie Ford called the shadow self. Mm -hmm. It's what Lazarus calls the shadow. It's the place where we go to hide within ourselves as children that is never really reconciled. And that part of you... Uh, You've got to bring it into alignment. You have to discipline it. Yeah. Otherwise, it will run amok. Oh, I love that. When it comes to the summit, the first, you know, when you're participating in the summit, you're excited, you begin to make the change. You begin to start doing some tabbing. Then a week passes, maybe two weeks passes, and then you're like, what's that tapping thing again? I totally forgot. So how do we begin to make a shift and stay more consistent? You got to have a daily spiritual practice, whether you call it a spiritual practice, whether you call it me time, whether you call it getting centered, has to be daily because things, we do what is habitual, whether it's twist our hair or bite our nails or eat at a certain time. So I say the me time, self time, healing time, time to tap, time to pray, time to meditate, you have to make it consistent. And it only takes 41 days to establish a new habit. So I say work with yourself. Three minutes is, no better than, is better than no minutes. Five minutes is better than no minutes. Don't go out and buy eight crystals and a meditation <laughs> tape, 14 candles and a tablecloth and say you're going to sit here for 40 minutes because you're not. <laughs> I'll take three minutes of deep breathing in and focusing, car. right? You know, <laughs> focusing on yourself. I'll take in the shower. Mm. But you must have a daily practice that makes you a priority in your life. Because if your priority is to get up, to take care of the kids, to get to work, to do the work, to volunteer at the church, sing in the choir, cook the dinner, do the laundry, you are living a bad life. Something else, some busy is living your life. 
And one of the things that I learned through tapping and, and a myriad of sexual, I'm sexual, Lord have mercy, <laughs> of uh, spiritual. <laughs> They're both the same thing. Sexual is spiritual. All right. I'm not that old. Uh, but I learned through, through spiritual technologies is if you don't enjoy your life, misery will, suffering will, anger will, sorrow will, jealousy will. Grief will. If you don't enjoy your life, something else will. I love what you were saying before about trusting life. And that has become part of my prayer lately. And it was really because we were interviewing Louise Hay. My brother was interviewing her. I was in the back just freaking out, just panicking. It's Louise Hay. Louise Hay. And she got my attention and she just said, trust life. Yeah. And just... That, just trust life in that moment. I just felt all the anxiety leave my body. And it's been something that I've been, it's been my mantra. Yeah. And I know it's something that you do. And I would love, I know you're big into prayer. And yeah. I would love to wrap with a prayer. And yeah. we can even tap while we're doing the prayer. Oh, absolutely. I tap while I do the prayer all the time. But to get us that place of, of, of trusting life when we're feeling a little bit uncertain about yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. So what I would say then is just to relax your body and take a nice deep breath. And, and we'll follow the tapping points uh, as we pray about trust. And on the eyebrows, I always start, Precious Lord of the universe. Precious Lord of the universe. Side of I, just now I open my heart. Just now I open my heart. Under I, to know you and trust you. To know you and trust you. Nose and chin, just now. Just now. I open my mind. I open my mind. Collarbone, to know you and trust you. To know you and trust you. Under arms, I embrace trust. I embrace trust. And top of head, I embrace trust. I embrace trust. Eyebrows, just now. Just now. In this moment. In this moment. Side of eye, trust fills my body. Trust fills my body. Under eye. Trust fills my mind. Trust fills my mind. Under nose, trust fills every cell in my body. Trust fills every cell in my body. Chin, trust fills every atom in my body. Trust fills every atom in my body. Collarbone, trust is moving through the fluids in my body. Trust is moving through the fluids of my body. Underarm, trust is in my bones. Trust is in my bones. And top of head, I trust. I trust. Yeah. Imagine just every day filling your being, your body with trust. And, you know, I always say that trust represents truth, respect, understanding, surrender, and time. So beautiful. Over time, we learn to trust the process, we learn to trust ourselves, we learn to trust that all things are lessons that God would have us learn, which means everything was and is just as it needs to be. Well, I know that people came here for a reason, and I trust I'm here for a reason, and yeah. I want to thank you for being part of this. It's thank you. It's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.